Investing Compass is brought to you by Morningstar Australia. We'll run through the fundamentals of investing, take a deep dive of concepts and offer practical explanations, tools and resources that will allow you to invest confidently. The information contained in this podcast is general in nature. It does not take into consideration your personal objectives, financial situation or needs. Today, our episode is on investing during the U.S. presidential election. Okay, so before we get started, I do feel bad about something it's related to the U.S. Oh, God, okay. So remember, I think, I don't know, our second or first time we did this, I shared that traumatic experience of you and the birds <laughs> yes. and the chips on you and the flock of bin chickens that went after yeah. you. I mean, well, the thing is, like, now I'm known as bird girl. I know, and that's, and that's what I was going to say. I feel bad because I told you that my friends in the U.S. are texting me and asking about bird girl. So I thought I would say something nice about you to start off today. Okay. So how's that? This is so change. I know. As you know, I have to give the opening remarks at our individual investor conference on Friday because mm-hmm. I've been complaining about it to you. So I have to write out whatever I'm going to say. And so I'm going to talk about you and I'm talk about things I've learned. So positive things in 2020. Um, and I was going to talk about how much empathy you have and how I think that's really influenced the way that you've dedicated a lot of your time to helping out investors learn more about investing. And there isn't a lot of empathy for people who potentially have gotten themselves in bad financial situations. So I'm going to talk about you. So now you can be known as Empathy Girl. <laughs> Instead of bird girl, what do you think? That is really nice, Mark. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting, I thought you were going to make fun of me during this whole podcast. No, no, no. I'm going to say nice stuff. That's really so, nice. There we go. But anyway, we're going to talk about the U.S. presidential election today. So we want to preface this conversation by saying that we're not going to talk about our political opinions or any sort of preferences that we have. We just think as investors, you need to be cognizant that there is this geopolitical environment that does influence investing and just want people to be aware of the impact it may have on market returns. Yeah. And I think one of the examples that you used in our Investing Mits podcast sums this up um, pretty well when we were talking about ESG and Coke. Yeah, absolutely. And that's Coca-Cola. And the example <laughs> that we use is that one of our equity analysts said to me, how can I evaluate Coca-Cola and if it's a good investment, if I don't look at increased levels of drought when water is one of the key ingredients in most of their products? Yeah. So in this instance, as much as you don't want to care about politics, especially in other countries' politics, um, it's pretty important to spend some time thinking about the potential impact the election might have on the US market and our market returns as well. So the US markets make up 54% of global markets. Um, and aside from this is in- interconnected with all of the other major markets. So it's going to have an impact on your portfolio. So we're going to spend this episode focusing on the US election um, with many of the principles up for discussion applicable to other major political, social or environmental events. Um, But before we get started, uh, I think it's important to take a step back and look at a couple of investing concepts that will be central to our discussion. And so the first concept is short term volatility versus long term investing. So let's separate these two concepts. Volatility refers to how asset prices bounce around and stocks have high volatility, meaning in the short term, they can often bounce around a fair amount. This is to be expected. There are millions of market participants consuming millions of pieces of data and trying to decipher what impact it will have on stock prices. Okay. So why don't we, as you said, there are millions of market participants. Let's take a look at who some of those participants are. So there, there are certainly traders 
And really what a trader is trying to do is they're trying to anticipate what direction the market is going to move in. And then they're trying to position themselves by buying and selling shares to try to profit from whatever that move is. So, you know, at Morningstar in general, and, you know, personally, I'm not that interested in this group. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second. But the other big group that we have is, of course, what we advocate here, long-term investors. And what long-term investors are trying to do with short-term volatility is use that as an opportunity to get into companies that they think are great investments at an attractive price. So these two groups are not quite as clear-cut and defined as we're making them out to be. There's sort of many people that kind of fall in the middle um, that, and we talked about this last time, who claim to be taking a long-term approach, but for whatever reason are not. Um, and that can be about some of the structural constraints that we talked about, um, or just because it's kind of behaviorally difficult to be a true long-term investor. So Ben Graham, one of the leading investment thinkers in history, and we're talking about somebody other than Warren Buffett, which is good. <laughs> Although Warren Buffett took Ben Graham's class. But anyway, Ben Graham um, called this short-term group of speculators, uh, or short-term group of traders, speculators, and the longer-term group, investors. So that's really a pretty important distinction. So he famously said that in the short-term, the market is a voting machine, and in the long-term, it's a weighing machine. And what he meant by this is that Day-to-day -day volatility in the market is driven by a bunch of market noise, often irrelevant data, and that's causing prices to bounce around. It's the long run where the value of the underlying companies really matter. Yeah, and as Mark previously said, um, at Morningstar, we're proponents of taking a long-term investing approach. Um, so the situation that Mark and I are in, we have years before we need access to the money. Um, we have... <laughs> Let's hear it, Chani. Talk about how I have like one year before I need my retirement money. You have less years than I do, but um, we've both invested to accomplish a goal. Um, so we shouldn't concern ourselves with the day-to-day, week-to-week, or even year-to-year -year movements of stock prices. The reason we shouldn't do this is because um, much of this market noise that Mark referred to um, will turn out to be irrelevant to the long-term value of companies that we invest in. Okay. So the second, so that's one foundational topic. And I think as Shani said in the beginning that even if you're listening to this after the election, number one, thank God it's over, but also all of these things do apply, as Shani said before, to sort of any topic. So the second foundational topic we wanted to cover off on is a phrase that you hear a lot as you start to read more about financial markets. And that phrase is priced into the market. So once again, this is a bit of jargon that we need to break down. So Shani, why don't you get us started? Yeah, we spoke a little bit about our traders or speculators, as Ben Graham called them. Um, I actually did a little bit of research on Ben Graham and found out he's a former AFL player, Mark, that used to play for Geelong, but went over to the New York Jets. So our worlds collide again. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently. Um, I actually really enjoy when you talk about American sports, Mark, because whenever I'm on TikTok, <laughs> I see all these really emotional sporting videos and I have all this context now for NFL and baseball. Okay, well, you know, as uh, I'm, I'm glad that something I've said to you has actually resonated, but um, yeah, but he was the first result that came up. But probably the more famous Ben Graham outside of footies investor and the professor, as Mark sort of talked about. So he does call traders speculators. Traders are trying to figure out what is going to happen to them in the short term, and then they try to position their um, for profit. In other words, they have certain expectations for the future. So those expectations are baked into the positions they take, and those expectations could be on what the federal budget might look like, or what the RBA will do with interest rates, or how much a company will earn during the next half-yearly results. 
So the point is that they have an expectation about the future. And once they decide um, what they think is going to happen, they'll look for signs that they're correct or incorrect. Yeah, and, and that's really where we see a lot of this day-to-day volatility. So there are different pieces of data coming out, and that's making collectively all these traders rethink their expectations. So when we, just, when, when we say the market has priced something in, it simply means that the consensus is that an event will occur and that the aggregate position in the market reflects this consensus. Now, that's kind of a difficult concept to grasp. It isn't as if everyone in the market agrees. But once again, there are millions of anonymous individuals with different motivations, levels of expertise, and more and more importantly, different opinions. But the whole point of the stock market is to set a price. And that price is a consensus of what everyone in the market thinks the stock is worth at that point in time. Two minutes later, that consensus will change as supply and demand move security prices. But try and think of stock prices or index levels being the average viewpoint of what people think something is worth. So at Morningstar, we think there can be large gaps between what a company is actually worth and what the market consensus is saying right at this moment. Um, but that's kind of besides the point when we look at short-term market movement. So really the important point, I think, for everyone is that the market has decided that something is going to happen and security prices reflect that. And the other point is that the market is probably smarter than you are in the short term because it's it's the aggregate thinking of millions of different market participants. And I think the really good news is that you can be smarter than the market in the long term, but that's really a topic for the other for another day. Um, so that was a pretty long preamble to start talking about the election, um, but hopefully those two concepts will help frame up um, some of the debate, debates around the impact of the election. Um, there are all sorts of concerns about the impact of, of this US election, and this goes past the impact of the two candidates on the US and the world for the next four years. So there are worries that there'll be a prolonged process to declare a winner, um, and this is because of the large number of ballots received by mail. The worry is that the election will be disputed because of some of the statements um, made by Trump and other statements he has made indicates that he will not leave the office if the election does not go in his favor. So there are a lot of intricacies to this election, but in short, um, there's a lot of uncertainty around this election, more than normal when most of the uncertainty is really just focused around who will win. And the old saying is that the market hates uncertainty and that it is likely that it'll lead to volatility as market participants try and figure out what scenario will play out and really what impact that'll have on stock prices. All right. So, yeah, at Morningstar, we certainly think there'll be some market volatility. And, you know, I do think it's important to to talk to or or to at least uh, go out and look at what some of the experts here at Morningstar have said. Um, You know, experts like you, not so much me, Shani. Um, But Dave Sakara, who's our chief U.S. market strategist for Morningstar, basically said the same thing. So he put out a recent report and he was pretty quick to point out that, you know, the consensus in the market was that there would be high volatility in November and December, basically because of all the issues that Shani talked about in relation to the election. Um, but they're known and predictable um, in many ways. Well, they're known. I think there is some unpredictability about what's going to happen. Um, but that really makes it so they're not actionable by investors. So, you know, what that means is, and we talked about investing edge, the sources of competitive advantage for investors. And one of those sources of edge is informational. So knowing something that is not known by others and not widely or not widely known by others is a source of edge. In this case, there is no edge involved in this. As investors, I can read poll numbers. As an investor, I can read poll numbers just like everyone else, but I don't know anything unique. So 
I can be apprehensive about what's going to happen, especially as an American with the election, but there's really little I can do to profit off of that. So when do you think it'll change? Did I stop calling myself an American? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't know, Shawnee. Uh, when do you think it should change? change? What's it going to change? I don't know. I, I am an Aussie citizen, but You've been here for five years. yeah, but I do still have an American accent, and everyone thinks I'm American. Everyone makes fun of me for being American, mostly you. So I feel like you should just confuse people and just say that I'm Australian. Yeah. Okay, maybe the next podcast we do, I'll be Australian. Okay, sounds good. Um, okay, so the, the point the market's making was really um, important. Trying to outsmart the market on a short-term basis isn't easy to do, and it really isn't investing. So um, short-term bets are just that—they're bets. And that makes you a speculator. Um, so at Morningstar, we believe in investing, and that means taking a long-term approach. So let's spend the rest of the podcast talking through the long-term implications of the different scenarios that could play out in the election. In this case, um, we care less about the potentially chaotic process of determining a winner and um, more about who the winner will be and what impact that will have on long-term returns. So I'm going to start with a brief overview of how the government works. And this seems really appropriate for me to take on as the Aussie on this podcast because you've just declared you're American, mate. Um, and not just that, Mark. From what I remember, you were a history major at uni as well. So I'm going to that's that's go. true. That's true. They <laughs> anyway. barely gave me a degree, but uh, but eventually, <laughs> you've it. Yeah. I did. I did. <laughs> All right. So and the U.S. election is in November, and it's more than just the presidency. It'll also impact both chambers of Congress. So the House of Representatives or the lower house, which is all up for election, and the U.S. Senate or the upper house, where one third of senators are up for election, um, is, yeah, is just up for election. So <laughs> in a political system based on checks and balances, it's important to control, um, it's important who controls the presidency, um, but also which party controls each house of Congress. All right. So that's a good lesson um, on the U.S. government, Shawnee. So bailed me out. I skipped most of the classes in uni, so obviously didn't learn anything. But that's uh, that's Just great. Watched enough episodes of The West Wing. So. Okay. Well, there you go. Learning through television, right? So why don't we uh, why don't we start with the presidency? So you know we've all uh, we've all seen these headlines in different papers, and you know honestly they're pretty interchangeable. If Trump slash Biden wins. Um, stocks will soar, they will crash. Um, obviously, there's a lot of, uh, there's some partisanship behind this. I think there's also just the need to sell papers and be sensationalist. Um, but with anything with the future, it's pretty good to start in the past. So it won't give you an exact answer, but it can provide some insights into what could happen, right? So once again, turning to an expert here at Morningstar, John Reckenthaler. Um, so he's our vice president of research in the US. And he did just that. He subtly titled his piece, Presidential Elections Don't Matter for Investments. So John made a couple of good points in this article that we can talk about here. And number one is that the overall economic conditions and stock market returns can diverge. So we've seen that this year, right? Especially around COVID, where economically, we have not done very well globally with all the COVID-related restrictions, but the stock market has done very well. Um, so, you know, there are a lot of additional factors that influence investment performance. So whether that's what we're talking about before, the markets had anticipated these economic developments. There's certainly investor demand. Um, and it's really, really important to, to note that, you know, the stock market only represents a portion of the economy. So these are publicly traded companies, but the economy is way larger than that. Leaves out small businesses, any sort of private businesses, and certainly government spending as well. 
Yeah, and John's conclusion goes um, beyond simply pointing out the disconnect between the market and the economy. He also takes a look at the ability of a president to influence the overall economy. Um, he does admit that this is controversial, but suggests that an economy is a complex dynamic and it's very difficult to attribute both prior to policy being enacted and after it has been implemented, any specific decisions to economic changes. So he gives a couple of examples to illustrate his point. And the first is taking a look at the US economic output between um, 2014 and 2019, which includes the final three years of um, Obama's presidency and the first three years of Trump's. Um, Now, I don't have to tell you or the people listening that Obama and Trump are very different presidents and they have very different policies. And these differences included tax, regulatory and trade policies, just to begin with. Um, but the GDP growth rate in the US was 2.5% per year for Obama and 2.4% for Trump. So not much of a difference. Yeah. And the second example that John looked at was unemployment. So job growth during the last three years of Obama's presidency is 1.8% per year. Um, and that's actually higher than the first three years of Trump's presidency, where it came in at 1.5%. But, you know, the caveat to this is that while Obama is slightly higher, um, we need to add a little context. And that's the fact that the unemployment rate was continually dropping during this whole period and actually hit a 50-year low in December 2019. Um, so as John said, who is a far smarter man than I am, um, you know, adding this context essentially makes this a draw between the two presidents. Yeah. And since you skipped all your classes, Mark, um, I'll talk a little bit about the House and the Senate elections. And um, so Republicans currently control the Senate. The Democrats control the House. Um, both chambers of Congress have different responsibilities. But the important thing to remember is that both parts of Congress are needed to pass laws. Um, and this can inf- this can force the president to compromise to get his agenda enacted. Um, so the scandal here is that both chambers of Congress are hanging in the balance in this election. And you, as you often tell me, you love scandal. So. I love scandal. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so our overall view at Morningstar from our equity analysts is we don't think that the outcome of the presidential election will significantly alter the valuation levels that we have or meaningfully change our overall economic outlook. So we do acknowledge that a contested result, as we talked about before, or a drawn out um, process of counting the ballots or any sort of litigation could intensify short term volatility. Um, if President Trump is reelected, we don't really foresee any significant policy changes and we kind of expect the status quo. If Biden were elected and the Senate remains in Republican hands, we think that it would be, that he would be able to implement some of his policies that he's advocated, but the scope would be pretty limited. And then finally, um, sort of the third scenario. So if there's a Democratic sweep, so if Democrats take over the Senate, retain the House, and of course, win the presidency. We do think that they have wider latitude to implement the key democratic priorities within their platform. Yeah, so let's look at some history. So from 1929 through um, to 2019, one party controlled both chambers of Congress and the presidency in 45 of those years. So the S&P 500 on average rose 7.45% during these years, uh, according to Dow Jones market data. The index was up 30 times and down 15 times. In the other 46 years, when there was a split government, the index climbed 7.26% on average, rising 29 times, falling 16 times and remaining unchanged once. Which is amazing, remaining unchanged. I mean, what a coincidence that is, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, you know, I think, I think the whole point is that, yes, because we obviously are very passionate about a lot of different political issues, um, we do like to 
stress the importance of the presidency and different, in this case, different uh, houses of Congress on everything. Um, I think what we're saying here from an investment return perspective, under both parties, under lots of different scenarios, the returns have been, number one, good, and number two, fairly similar. All right. So we've gone through some relevant foundational investing concepts. We've learned a little bit about U.S. political history. Um, we took a look at the historical impact of different parties. But the big question is, what should people do? So what should long-term investors do about this election? And Shani, ready to give us the answer? Yeah, it's nothing. Nothing. Yeah, absolutely nothing. All right. So I think we have to go a little more into that. We can't just end <laughs> with nothing. End just nothing. And this thing cuts off. It's like the mic drop of our uh, of our podcast. Okay. You got to go a little more into that for okay. us. Okay. So firstly, when we look at almost any short-term scenario, like a presidential election, and um, the answer to what investors should do is nothing. Um, so now that isn't exactly true, and we'll get into why. Um, but let's talk about a number of factors at play. So if doing something causes some negative things to happen that will impact your future returns, it can lead to taxes, it can lead to transaction costs. Both of those are expenses we have to overcome as investors in order to generate positive returns. Um, so there are some consequences to taking action. The real question is if the action you take is actually correct and will, will it contribute to long-term returns in your portfolio? Um, since I've been carrying this whole discussion about the U.S. election, Mark, why don't you try and answer this one? Well, I mean, you declared me an Australian, so <laughs> I think we should be on equal terms around this. But there are a couple of things to unpack here. So if you're making a short-term trade on the results of the presidential election, it assumes that you know who will win, that you know the impact of that win, what the impact on the market will be of that win, and that your viewpoint differs significantly from market consensus. And you have the ability to actually position your portfolio, take advantage of the scenario you've come up with. So that's a lot of different things. That's a really, really tall order as an investor. So if you're a long-term investor, it means whatever the short-term position you're taking with your portfolio will have to be reversed at some point to go back to your longer-term position. So really what you're doing here is called market timing. And as we know, and as countless studies have shown, market timing doesn't work. Yeah, so let's use a non-presidential example. Um, so around January, we heard about a mysterious virus in the Wuhan province. My guess is you probably did the same thing that I did, and I ignored it at the time and then slowly came to realize the full impact of the virus on the world over the months that followed. But um, for the purpose of this example, let's pretend that wasn't true. Let's say you knew exactly what was going to happen with the virus, and not only that, you knew the impacts on the economy of prolonged lockdowns and ongoing restrictions. So if you knew all that, you'd probably assume that the share prices would take a hit because that's the most logical conclusion to come to. Um, so based on this, you decided that even though your long-term portfolio is heavily weighted to equities, you switch it all into cash until we have a good response to this virus, and then you'd switch it back into your equity allocation. And if you're a New South Welshman or Welsh woman like me, the um, government started introducing measures on March 16th and progressively advanced them until March 31st when a full lockdown went into effect. So this full lockdown, of course, had the biggest impact on the economy. So in this scenario, right, you're a clairvoyant. So you know all of this stuff has happened. Um, so this rapid escalation of lockdown wasn't a surprise to you. And you had, as we said, you moved your entire portfolio to cash. So you think you're in great shape, right? None of this is going to impact your portfolio. Um, and 
once an effective vaccine is produced, and you would know when that was in this in this clairvoyant scenario, you would just move back into equities because that represents your long term uh, the long term approach you want to take to investing. Um, the problem with the scenario is that the ASX actually bottomed on March 23rd, right? So if we look at that March 23rd, so it bottomed eight days before New South Wales went into a full lockdown. And since then, through an extended period of lockdown, what's happened down in Victoria, the spread of the virus globally, and the devastation in a lot of major economies, including the US, the market's gone up 37%. So this is a pretty good example of timing the market doesn't work. And the problem with this is, um, the problem with this approach is that the market had already priced in all of these scenarios and probably priced in a worse case scenario than what's actually happened. So the market was anticipating an economic recovery long before it actually happened. And we could go through example after example of this. GFC is a perfect example. The market bottomed eight, nine months before unemployment bottomed in the U.S. Um, the fact of the matter is that the market is forward-looking and it's trading on a consensus. Yeah. So what to take from this is now it's not the time to make radical changes to your portfolio, even if you're a clairvoyant. Um, instead, it's time to take a step back and look at what's important in investing. That's concentrating on your goals, ensuring that you have the right asset allocation to accomplish these goals, and coming up with a saving and investing plan to help you achieve those goals. And of course, um, you should also periodically monitor your investments to make sure you're still following your plan. This is especially critical when we're faced with uncertainty around events like this election. It's your plan that matters and it's discipline that matters. The last thing you want to do is something impulsive. Yeah, and that brings us back, Shani, I think full circle to what we were talking about originally. So there is likely to be volatility around the election as the market tries to interpret what is going to happen and what that means to short-term stock prices. These are speculators. But if you're listening to this, hopefully you are an investor and you realize that your advantage in investing is not trying and outsmarting speculators and profiting by basically nothing more than luck in the short term, you realize that your advantage is focusing on the long term. And this is because all sorts of scenarios are already priced into the market. And the market is really good at pricing in short-term scenarios and really good at reacting immediately, hence that volatility that we've been talking about. What the market is not good at is pricing in long-term scenarios. So if you're a long-term investor, not a speculator, um, that's what you need to concentrate on. So your neighbors and the newspapers are going to talk more and more about risk, meaning volatility, but you need to concentrate on what the real risk is. And that's the risk of not achieving your long-term goals. And to achieve those long-term goals, you need to stick to your plan. All right, Mark. So let's focus on what we learned today. So the first point is that volatility is a result of the market pricing in short-term news. This is the action of speculators, which is very different from investors. The second is we're hearing a lot of pronouncements of the, about the impact of who is elected president. And of course, who is elected president is important for all sorts of reasons. Um, but the economy is complicated and has thousands of different drivers. I think it's also worth stressing the economy is not the markets and the markets are not the economy. They can diverge. And the third is doing nothing is almost always the best thing for an investor. Review your long-term plan and focus on what you can control. Make sure you're being disciplined and executing against that plan. Remember that for long-term investors, short-term volatility is not your risk. Your risk is not achieving your goal.
All right. Great, Shani. So I think three very important points. In terms of resources, uh, the only thing I'd really recommend at this point is stop reading all the newspaper articles about what's <laughs> going to happen. But maybe reading our portfolio construction guide would be a good place to uh, to start. So it really walks through this process. And we'll do this on a future podcast. But it walks through that process of setting a goal, selecting an appropriate asset allocation to achieve your goal, and then tracking and monitoring your plan. Yeah. And you can find that portfolio construction guide in um, the Learn to Invest section of our website. So that is it for episode five of our podcast. We'd really appreciate any feedback or comments. You can find an email address in the episode notes. If you'd like to show your support, please subscribe or follow our podcast on your chosen platform and share with your friends and family who may be looking to learn a little bit more. So Mark, let's finish this thing up with a prediction. Who is going to win? I'm thinking probably an old white guy is going to (laughs) win. I didn't know you were running, mate. (laughs) Thanks for joining We started this thing off with me being nice to you, but I guess we'll end on that note. So thank you, everyone. Thanks, guys. Any advice is general advice prepared by Morningstar without reference to your financial objectives, situation, or needs. You should consider the advice in light of these matters and any relevant product disclosure statement before making any decision to invest.